Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we'll be finishing up the section. My goal is to finish starting verse 3 and should get through verse 5. That is my goal for tonight. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Remember the heading. Uh, everybody should have your hand out still. But the heading was peace with God, peace of God. And that's verses 1 through 5. Uh, we went over, uh, I'll just bring some context before we actually read the passage, because what we're about to look at in verse 3, 4, and 5 uh, can somewhat seem like it just out of nowhere, Paul just all of a sudden starts talking about tribulations, uh, because before we're talking about justification by faith, we're talking about having peace with God through Christ. And how we have access uh, into grace. We have access into grace by Christ. And then uh, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then all of a sudden, bang, Paul starts talking about tribulations. Like, wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> what does that have to do? So you always have to keep it in context. So even though it would seem like that the tribulation here is separate, that it's a separate subject, from justification by faith and the other thing like I just said justification by faith peace with God that we have that in Christ we have it through Christ it seems like the tribulation subject now verses 3 through 5 it would be a separate you know a separate, that it stands alone but it doesn't it goes hand in hand with justification by faith peace with God through Christ Remember, we talked about peace, that first of all, let me go back, I'm sorry, that justification is a verdict, is giving a verdict over your life. It's not just, um, you're no longer guilty, you've been declared innocent, not guilty, innocent of all charges, and you're given righteousness, perfect righteousness, that's given to you. So you get that by faith. And then because of what Christ did through what Jesus did at the cross, we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies with God. We've been brought back together. That's what, remember the word peace means to, to actually mend back together. So we've been brought back together with God. Those are really important things to know when a tribulation hits you. <laughs> Because what are some of the thoughts that immediately hit you when your world crumbles? When a tribulation hits you in the face, you come around the corner of life and bang, a tribulation hits you. You go through a rough time. Some of the thoughts are, God hates you. <laughs> My dad kind of talked a little bit this morning, you know, he kind of... Uh, said a few things but these are real th these are real thoughts real attacks that you're going to face mm -hmm. when the tribulation hits well god's not pleased with you if he was then this wouldn't have happened i'm really gonna have to be real let's be honest these are that's, that's just one of the things that goes through your brain yeah. when your whole world collapses in front of you 
and you were not ready for. So that's why Paul, that's why the Holy Spirit through Paul tied it in with justification by faith, peace with God, and that you have access into grace. All because of what Christ did. He ties that all together with now tribulation. Because you need to know those things. Because the attack is going to happen. Mm -hmm. The tribulation is going to come. And then all of those thoughts. God's not pleased with you. God hates you. God's against you. You're not doing enough. If you prayed more, this wouldn't have happened. If you read more, this if you were more consecrated to God, this wouldn't have happened to you. Those are just a few. And we've we've all been there in the tribulation. And we could all name probably 15 different things that rolled through your mind. That to be honest, in the time of the tribulation, when you're in the middle of it, it's it's easy to believe. It's easy to believe the thought that this must have happened because I did something wrong. Or because I didn't do something right that I should have been doing. It's it's hard to say, no, I don't believe that. When your whole world just came crashing down and you don't have any answers. Because you can only see what's right in front of you. So this is real. I mean, this is the real thing. That's why it's tied together. So always, you always got to keep it in context. So it do, even though it's going to seem like, well, this is just random. Paul just goes off on a random talk about tribulations. No, no, no. He tied it together right there for a reason. So let's go ahead and read it and then let's get into it. I'm going to just uh, start in verse one, though. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Okay, so verse 3. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. This does not simply mean when we are in tribulations, but also because we are. The tribulations being the ground of glory. To be sure, this requires supernatural grace supplied by the Holy Spirit. Within our own selves, when a tribulation comes, the last thing that we want to do is rejoice and glory in the fact that a tribulation has just hit us in the face. And that's just, that's just natural. We just be honest and not, you know, we're, we're human beings and we're, you know, we're real. We're real. Christians are real. There's, we don't just around all day like everything's perfectly good and it's totally okay and praise God that I'm suffering. That's not. Yeah. If somebody says that, you bl- you're lying. Yeah. You're lying. <laughs> so, we, you know, we just, we'll just be real that we do not like them. <laughs> they wouldn't be tribulations if we enjoyed them. We do not enjoy them. But yet, Scripture 
says that we can rejoice, we can glory in our tribulations, but in your own self, you cannot do that. It takes a supernatural flow of the grace of God supplied by the Holy Spirit for you to rejoice in your tribulation. But the fact that it's in Scripture means that it's possible. Otherwise, this passage wouldn't be here. But it is possible to rejoice in your tribulation. That's really good news. <laughs> because tribulations are not fun. But yet, if you have the right object of faith, then there, you can rejoice in the middle of your tribulation. When you're in the fire, you can rejoice. When you're in that place, like Paul and Silas, like my dad talked about this morning, when you're in that place where it's not fun, and it's actually painful because being in stocks is not fun and it is actually painful. Yeah. And the, they were upside down. <laughs> You're in chains upside down hanging pretty much. So the fact that you're upside down is already not comfortable. But the fact that you would have had braces on yourself that I can guarantee you would not be loose. Yeah. And your full body weight is hanging. You're going to feel every brace that's on you. And yet, and they, they had already been beaten. <laughs> so here they are, beaten, hanging upside down, and in pain. I would say that that, that counts as a tribulation. <laughs> and yet they were able to rejoice, and it had nothing to do with their tribulation. Because in the natural circumstances, ain't no rejoicing happening. But faith in the right object caused rejoicing. Because even in that moment, there is what cannot be taken from you is thank you for what you've done, Lord. Not my situation and circumstance. Thank you for the cross. See, no matter what your situation or circumstance is, it cannot change the cross. Your situation and circumstance will change left and right, moment by moment, second by second. But what can never change and will never change is the cross. Yeah. So even if your world totally crashes in front of you tomorrow, and I'm not speaking, I'm just, it's an example. <laughs> I remember when I was in Bible college, a professor would say something about trials and tribulations, and just be honest, and my heart would sink to the floor. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, not me. No, 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 not for me. But it's, it's so, it happens. <laughs> but even if tomorrow you woke up and your whole world came crashing down, you can still rejoice. If if you if you keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus and what he's done for you at Calvary. And when you do that, what you will experience is the supernatural moving and operation mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit making real to you the grace of God, which really is the grace of God. The moving and operation of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life is pretty much the grace of God. You didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it. But you received it because of what? Because of the right object of faith. 
it was working. So in the middle of your fire, your hell on earth, you kept your eyes on Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And it doesn't mean that you don't experience pain. That's not realistic. You still feel the hurt of the situation or circumstance. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, on deep down with inside of you, there's something else there. <laughs> there's something amongst the pain and the heartbreak because your heart really does feel like it's shattered and you're bleeding out on the inside. That's the way it feels in your heart. And it's just been ripped open. But there's something else and it's not natural because it's of the spirit. And you, you begin to experience life even in the shadow of death, the shadow of the valley of death. You begin to experience life, which is the spiritual life, the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit that says, I know, I don't know when, but I know that I know that I know that he'll deliver me. We could sit and talk about this for forever, so let's move on, because I want to finish this uh, section. It's not that we are to rejoice because of the tribulations themselves, but because of their beneficial effect upon the Christian life. The truth is, whether we want to believe this or not, because, like my dad said this morning, we are prone to wonder. <laughs> and... Sometimes it takes a fire. It takes a trial and a tribulation to keep us close to the Lord and for us to grow. Because sometimes without even knowing it, we get complacent. Without even knowing it, we don't even notice. But God knows. So those come and it helps develop your Christian character and it helps to make you more like Christ and it helps to also humble you and you see I need him I need I need Jesus not just well thank you Lord and I'm saved no 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 I need Jesus to walk if I don't have if I don't have him today I'm not going to make it because, I, the, because the pain's that real and it hurts that bad. The situation or circumstance is squeezing me that tight that if I do not have Jesus, I will not make it. If I can just touch him for just, just a moment, then I'll make it. And the beautiful thing about the tribulation is that it causes you to just think about this moment and not... A year from now, two weeks from you, you can't. You're in so much pain. Everything is so you cannot think about anything else. But I just need grace to get through this next five minutes, and then the next five minutes, I'll need I'll need more grace for the next five minutes because it hurt. It's that bad, Lord. <laughs> yeah. it, it hurts that bad, and you're not exaggerating. To you, it really does. Lord, I need, I need you today. And then when today's over with, 
Then you get up the next day and the first thing on your mind is, I've got to have Jesus or else I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and that goes on for a period of time. And then eventually, when you've learned the lesson that God desires for you to learn, you're out of the trial and you don't even notice it because you're so fixed on Jesus that he brought you out and you didn't even see it. We must learn to do this. We must look at these trials and difficulties as assets that develop our Christian character. The word tribulation in the Greek is T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And it means a pressing, pressing together, pressure, oppression, affliction, distress, and straits. Uh, a really good example of this would be Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane, that name means olive press. And that's <laughs> a, tri a tribulation in our life really feels like you're in an olive press. An olive press just simply squeezes the olive in order to get the oil out. <laughs> well, that's what being in a trial really feels like for us. Lord, you've put me in the olive press. Here I am, an olive, and you've put me in the olive press, and now you are pressing me <laughs> to get something out. In the Greek text, it is preceded by the definite article, which means which it would actually, in the Greek, it actually reads the tribulations. Marking these out as things naturally expected in a Christian's life. The tribulations. That means it's going to happen. It's going to happen and it should be expected in the life of a believer. I don't know how this can happen, but there's this weird thing that in, in, in the Christian world that says if you serve Jesus, you, you know, you're not going to go through anything. <laughs> and then the moment things get tough, like, oh, well, this is not of God. Yeah. That's not even scriptural. You can't, that's not, yeah. that's not there. But yet a lot of it probably just goes back to, you know, like my dad said this morning, itching ears. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to hear that. Because it, the flesh does not like that. Once again, I'm in Bible college. And the professor says something about tribulations. My heart hits the floor. In my chest, I can feel it drop to the floor. Because I'm like, no, no I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We don't want to go through that. So it's not fun to preach that or teach that. But it will happen in every life of every person. But you know, whenever it is taught and preached, we can better prepare ourselves for when it does come. You know what I'm saying? Rather than telling them something that you know is never going to happen. Yeah. And so when they get hit, they feel blindsided. Right. When I, when I was younger, uh, much younger, I would hear, 
uh, other Christians, I wasn't saved at the time. Other, I would hear Christians talk and um, not my parents. I don't remember ever hearing my parents say this, but other believers uh, and ministers and all this stuff. That, oh man, you just, man, you just say yes to Jesus, man. <laughs> and the, the picture that was painted was just bliss, just nonstop bliss. Well, you, you, you're not telling the truth. You're lying. What do you mean? I'm not, I'm not lying. If you don't tell the whole truth, then you've lied. How many people, how many people, if we told them the whole story right up front, and of course we, you know, when you give a, a, a message, a salvation message, you don't have time to preach everything under the sun. You don't have time for that. But do we ever really present like, it says we're not dancing through the tulip fields. It's, so, it's a war. <laughs> now, the good thing is, is that we're guaranteed victory. That's right. Yeah. We're guaranteed victory. But it doesn't mean that you get what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, praise God. He's already done it. Praise God. We're going to just be skipping all the way to heaven. Okay, good luck. Because <laughs> it's, still, it's still called the fight of faith. It, there's a fight. The, the difference is the fight is not against sin or the enemy. You, can't, you won't even find that in Scripture. But it's been taught like that. I don't know how many. Well, we just got to fight sin. You, you cannot find that in Scripture. Yeah. Well, we got to fight the enemy. You can't find that in Scripture either. It says faith. Fight the fight of faith. You, how, why, would you, why would you fight something that Christ has already defeated? That's true. Well, we've we got to fight the devil. Well, the devil's already been defeated. What, why are you fighting something that Christ already defeated? That's a slap in the face to yeah. God. Because what you're saying he is he didn't do it. He didn't no, Christ didn't do enough. Christ really didn't defeat the devil. Well, Christ really didn't defeat sin. You that's your part. There are so many things that we've heard and we believed without ever finding out. Isn't that even scriptural? Okay, I gotta remind myself. Keep it on here. The uh, tribulations they test our endurance, and proved endurance increases hope. The idea is that tribulations test and endurance under them proves the genuineness of faith. See, it's one thing to say with our mouths. Oh, praise God, I believe God. Jesus is enough for me. And then our whole world comes crashing down. And then we walk away. Because what just happened was your, te your, your, test. your faith just got tested. You said, Jesus, you said Jesus is enough for me. And then the test came. And God allowed the test. To prove your faith. 
The text, the text does not come to prove you. It comes to prove your faith. Every attack of the enemy is against your faith. If he destroys your faith, he wins. And you lose. So it's to prove your faith. The text does not come to prove how holy you are. To prove how consecrated you are. It's not for that. It's to prove your faith. There's a passage that says something about faith, and I'm just, I had it for a second, and it's gone. Uh, something about this is our victory, even our faith. It's the first time. I'm going to keep going whenever you find it. Our faith is to prove your faith. Yeah, okay, you can say with your mouth, Jesus is enough for me. And then when the finances don't come in that you think that God was supposed to provide for you, then you just bounce like that. Yeah. And what that test, the trial, what the trial and the test just proved was that your faith was not genuine. First John chapter five, uh, verse four: For who, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And then it goes on to say, Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So it's our faith, our faith in the right object. Anytime you see the word faith used in Scripture, it's Pretty much always talking about faith in Christ and what he's done. So that is the faith. So it's always going to prove that the trial and the tribulation comes to prove your faith. And your endurance. If it's true, if it is genuine faith, then it will endure mm -hmm. the trial. And proved endurance increases hope. The idea is that tribulations test and endurance under them proves when the tribulation comes and your faith is genuine, then you endure the test. And when you endure the test, endurance under that test, that weight, that trial proves your faith. It proves the genuineness of, of your faith. The tribulations came to Paul and come to all true believers. Not because of a lack of faith, but because of great faith. Job is an excellent example of this. Job was described as, a, as the most righteous man on earth at that time. And he went through the hardest trial that I've ever read about or seen anybody have to go through. He lost all his wealth, all his fame, his whole reputation, his whole family, except for the one that he probably wouldn't have minded losing at that moment, his wife. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was. She was something. She did. She did not encourage him in his faith. She said, "Curse God and die, Joe." <laughs> like, wow, man, yeah, that's the one that God left for you, right? Great God. <laughs> but the, the, all of this came upon Joe, and then after that, his health.
Yeah. It got. It was so bad that the only thing more that could have happened to Job was he died. That's the only thing else that could have happened to Job was death. He lost everything. Every single thing. That is a test. And it wasn't to show how righteous Job was. It was a test of his faith. Because if you go back to the beginning of the book of Job, he said, Satan, before the throne of God, accused Job and said, he only serves you because of all the blessings that you've given him. So what happens next? The trial. God has said, okay, I'll let down the hedge, which is good news, by the way. That means that God has a hedge around you. Yes. Satan can't just do whatever he wants to you in your life. God has a hedge of protection around you and your life. And the, it, he only lets things in for your sanctification. So, like my dad said, Satan's on a leash. He, can, he cannot just do whatever he wants to you. That's not how it works. God's in total control. He had to allow Satan to even get to Job. Because Satan said, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Jesus said, I mean, Jesus. God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, well, I can't, I can't even get to him because of the hedge. If God's got a hedge of protection around you, Satan cannot get to you. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. The fact that you are not dead right now proves that God has a hedge of protection around your life. Because if it wasn't for that, Satan would have already tried to kill you. You'd be dead because you're no match for Satan. You'd be dead. So the fact that you're still breathing and you keep walking with Jesus another day and another day and another day proves that the hedge is real. It's not just a scriptural thing. It's real life because I'm still breathing. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd have killed me by now. But he can't because God has a hedge of protection around me. <clears throat> that is really good news. There's a hedge of protection around your life. And it only comes down when God sees. And even when he lets it come down and lets the enemy in, if you notice from the book of Job, God's still in total control. He said you can touch all that he has, but you can't put a finger on him. And in the first, the first wave that came, Job lost all his possessions, his kids, everything, but nothing happened to Job. Because God said, you can't touch Job. You can touch all that he has, all the blessings, but you cannot touch Job. And he couldn't. Satan couldn't touch him. He's on a leash. It's a big dog on a leash. And he can only hurt you if the Lord allows it. And if the Lord allowed it, he only allows it to go so far, and there's a reason why. Then the second wave comes... Because Satan says, he's Jesus, God said, have you considered my servant Job again? And Satan says, well, let me get, let me get to Job. Let me get to Job and we'll see if he still serves you. So God said, all right. Oh yeah, but you can't kill him. So once again, 
All right, go on in there, puppy dog, but you can't kill me. And what happened? Job was touched with horrible disease, but yet he did not die. That leash only goes so far. <laughs> Man, praise God. I hope you're seeing that. That's really good news. Satan is on a, a, a short leash. And the one behind the leash on the other end happens to be your father. I pray that that sinks in at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. That the revelation hits you like a train. And you go, Praise God! And you wake up your house. <laughs> Tribulation and trial for Job, yet God's in total control. And it was to prove Job's faith. The genuineness of his faith. Because the accusation from Satan was not that Job is so holy. The accusation was that he only serves you because of the blessings. So God allowed the blessings to be removed to prove that the accusation was false. Well, Satan, if that's what you think. But the accusation is false. And this trial and this test is actually going to prove that. And ultimately, it did. And Job learned some stuff from it, too. <laughs> but it proved his faith. No, 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 no. He didn't serve God just because of the blessings. If that's the case, he would have cursed God and died like his wife said. <laughs> but he didn't. Yep. The trial and the test is to prove the genuineness of your faith. Tribulations of the people of Christ are instrumental in promoting their moral transformation into the likeness of Christ. Uh, some passages of scriptures for that are Romans chapter 5, verse 3, which is where we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Tribulations also tell us that a better time is coming. Yes. Uh, do you want those scriptures one more time? Yes. They might be on your notes. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. No. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I'll go through them one more time. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. 
And 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, next part. Oh, uh, uh, tribulations of the people of Christ are instrumental in promoting their moral transformation into the likeness of Christ. So simply, they're instrumental in making us more like Christ. Knowing that tribulation works patience. Point to the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose. And his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. And really you see that in the, uh, if you ever get a chance to read uh, Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, that's a really good example. <laughs> because they were about to be killed. That's a pretty, I'd say that that counts as a pretty severe tribulation. Death. Your life threatened. Death. Your family's killed and you killed. I'd say that's pretty genuine tribulation. <laughs> and yet they were unswerved from their deliberate purpose and their loyalty to faith. And their and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. They would not deny Christ. Or the cross. Even when death for their families and themselves was imminent. If they did not. And they still wouldn't. The word worketh in the Greek is K-A-T-E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. I know that's on your sheet for sure. So. Uh, and it means to accomplish, achieve, to do that from which something results. The tribulation is to generate or produce Patience. Patience in the Greek is hupomone, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. It means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. It also have it also has reference to remaining under. Thus to remain under trials in a God-honoring way. So as to learn the lesson they are sent to teach, rather than an attempt to get out of them, get to get out from under them in an effort to be relieved of their pressure. So just sum that up. Don't run. <laughs> Don't run. If you run, then you never learn the patience part. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to go right back. You're going to go right back around until you get to you're hit the same part. Because that's what God's trying to teach you. Not necessarily patience, but really your faith and all that stuff that comes with it. Patience is just a part that's going to be, it's a fruit that's going to happen from the drop. If you remain under it in the God kind of way. If you endure. It works patience in us that fruit will be developed in us only if we go through the trial the right way 
Otherwise, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to run. You're going to run, 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 run. I ran so many times until I went to Bible college and then I couldn't run. <laughs> I was like forced in a corner. Bible college was God forcing me in a corner where I couldn't run. And I was forced to remain under the trial of God, the tribulation. I was forced to remain under it. I didn't have a choice. And from it, I learned when I just submitted and went through it the God kind of way and learned the lesson. Now, what I learned from my trials, maybe not, that's not what God's trying to teach you in your trial. That's just what he was teaching me in mine. The thing that I learned in my trial, and I learned, it sticks with me. It, when, you, when you go through a trial the God kind of way, when you go the way God in, intends for you to go, with faith in the right object, when your eyes are fixed upon Jesus Christ and what he did for you at Calvary, you go through the trial like that. When you come out, the lesson that you learn is not simply something you can recite. I'll just tell you right now, it's like it's written in your DNA. Yeah, that's true. The lesson that you've learned becomes a part of you. For me, the lesson that God was teaching me that he was enough for me. And that I could have joy even when all my outward circumstances said, no, you cannot. There's nothing to have joy in based off of my outward circumstances. But then I learned, oh yes, you can. <laughs> and it, 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 I'll tell you, the joy is a man named Jesus. Yes. And I learned that, oh, I can have joy even when I'm walking through hell on earth. And for me, that's what it felt like. Every day. If you weren't there with me in Bible class, then you would have no idea now. But if you were, like Brittany, <laughs> but the lesson that I learned—that's the best way I, I, I can explain it—is it, it literally became a part of my spiritual DNA. It's like a part of who I am now. It's a part of Tanner, the new Tanner. It's a part of me. It's something that I don't forget. It's like a scar, but a good kind. That every time something reminds me of that, I remember. Oh, I remember that. Anytime something would come about that might be the same type of idea, oh, you can't have joy because of this. Oh, yes, I can. See, I remember. Yeah. I remember, I remember this place that I was at. And there was no reason to have joy. But, but I, I did have it. And it had nothing to do with anything that this life can offer me. Yeah. But it was a man named Jesus. And specifically, what he did for me at Calvary. And that was my joy. So even though I say it sometimes, and the truth is my heart drops, I've learned that His grace is sufficient enough for me to know that if my life fell apart tomorrow, see, I went, I, I've been through something 
And I learned that He is enough. I've been through enough to know He'll be enough for me. He's come through too many times. Hmm. Praise God. The Holy Spirit is directing and orchestrating all events, some which seem to be hurtful to the flesh, but all which are invigorating to the Spirit. The situation that I went through, honestly, to me, to the flesh, to my desires, my heart, what I wanted, they did not, they were not, they, they hurt. <laughs> But to the spirit man, oh, that's a different story. <laughs> See, to the spirit man, it didn't hurt. Actually, I grew far more in that period of time than I could ever without it. Without, without that trial and tribulation, I'm not where I am today. And it's not so much that I got stronger. I just learned his strength in a greater way. And I learned how to walk in it. That's the real idea. It's not that you, you don't get stronger. We never get stronger. But we just learned his strength and how to walk in it, how to operate in it. That's what I learned. Your faith, yeah, that's for sure. Now your faith is your faith will get stronger and it will become purer. That's the that's the biggest. It becomes purer. But genuine. It proves it will prove that your faith is genuine. And I just want to encourage you that if you go if you find yourself going through something, uh, we'll look at the book of Job as a good example for that. If God allows the trial to come, then he has confidence that your faith is genuine. Yes. Yes. God has, if God allowed the test in your life, if he let down the hedge and allowed the test to come into your life, then what God is saying is, I trust that your faith is genuine. I trust that my work in you is genuine. And that what it's going to prove is that your faith is genuine. He's not doing it to prove that you failed. Yeah. Right. Right. He knows the end result. The idea is, the, it's weird to think about, but the idea is that God has faith in your faith. That's right. If it's in the right object, He has faith in your faith. That's what is really... So it's an encouragement. If God allows the trial to come, then just like with Job, he's saying, okay, I see your accusation, Satan. But I'm telling you that that's not true. Yeah. And I'm going to show you. Yes. I'm going to demonstrate that. Okay, verse 4. And patience, experience, Points to an end result. Experience in the Greek is D-O-K-I-N-E-N. -E the result of trial 
approvedness. Philippians 2.22 It is a tried integrity, a state of mind which has stood the test. This is done for the purpose of approving and finding that the person tested meets the specifications in order for approval to be put upon him. Its results are a spiritual state which has shown itself proof under trial. Uh, my dad told me this back in the day. It stuck with me. I remembered it. Um, a Jew, an Israelite, if you told them this, if, if I told them, see that stool over there? That's a chair. Just because I say it is a chair does not mean that that Israelite is going to say, oh, well, praise God, that's a chair. No, no, no. What he's going to do is he's going to go test it. It's not a chair unless it holds me up like a chair and I can sit in it. Then, if I test it fully and it passes the test of my specifications to be a chair, then I'll say it's a chair. That's kind of the same idea with us. Are we going to pass the specifications of what God says? Yep, that is a saint of God. <laughs> um, I remember that. He told me that it stuck with me forever. It makes sense. The test shows us where we are. And we generally find that we are much weaker than we thought. Most of the time, that's what you're going to see in the test. I feel like if you don't come out of the trial thinking that, then you miss something. Yeah. You got to go back to it again. Yeah, no, that's a good point. If you if you if you come out of the trial and you don't feel like you're weaker, then you probably didn't learn something that you need to learn. You probably missed something somewhere. But not just that you're weaker, but you realize how much you need yeah. the Lord right. to come out yes. of it. Depending more on him, which is what he always wanted, and depending right. less on yourself. Instead of thinking exactly. you're strong, you know that he's strong. Exactly. It's 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 more so like what Brittany said, and I'll just repeat it. Uh, it's more so that you have a greater dependence upon the Lord. Yes. Yes. If you come out of a trial and you do not have a greater dependence upon the Lord, get ready. You about to go right back yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't get it. You didn't understand. Trials and tests come to also remove faith from self. Yeah. And that's why I say purifies your faith. Like what uh, Sister Jan was saying. That your faith, your faith is stronger. Your faith is going to be purer. Yeah. The test, because remember we're a mixture. We're faith in Christ and what he's done for us. And then also self and some other things. We're a mixture. So the test comes to purify our faith, to make it less in other things, less in ourselves, and more in what Christ has done. So, and that's where, like what Sister Jan said, that it, your faith will be stronger and more purified. That's, anyway. <laughs> stronger in the sense, not that you have more faith now, but you, your faith is more targeted in the right thing. Your faith is only as good and as strong as the object that it's in. 
If your faith is in yourself, then you have weak faith. And it's not so much that your faith is just, it's that you have a little bitty amount of faith. It's that the object that it's in is not good enough. So it needs to be in the object, a stronger object, which is Christ and what he's done. Faith in that makes you stronger. I like a tiptoe with my words here, but we get the point. Genuine. Yeah. Genuine. Genuine. More so less in ourselves, more in what he's done. That's 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 a lot of the sanctification process. Faith less in other things, less in ourselves, more in Christ and what he's done. I find that when I come through trials or tribulations, the humility is much stronger than yes. understand where self is concerned, you know. Right. Uh, that actually brings me to, I believe, the next point. The problem of self-reliance rears its ugly head in the believer just as it does in the unbeliever. Finding out our weaknesses, which tests will always bring out, keeps the believer humble and on his knees. It keeps you dependent upon the Lord. Yes. When you go through trial or test, it's really hard to walk around like a peacock. <laughs> uh, you're not going to be doing much strutting. I'll say that. You're not going to be strutting around too much when a trial hits you in the face. And you all, then the only thing that you can see is failure. Yes. Well, I'm actually praise God. That I was really holy and consecrated. And then the trial comes and I find out I'm not so holy. And I'm not so consecrated. <laughs> and I'm actually getting really frustrated. And I'm actually finding out that I'm even frustrated at God. See, you have to be real as a Christian. You're going you're gonna to believe the message of the cross. And you're going you're gonna to be a disciple of Christ. And be a learner of Christ and what he's done for you at Calvary. You got to be real. <laughs> the cross is going to expose that fake facade like that. I'm not, I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as mature as I think I am. And if I think I'm really mature, then God will allow a trial or a test to come to show me that, no, Bubba, you ain't that mature. Boy, you think you're really holy. Boy, you think you're real smart. You think you got this thing down. And then here comes a trial or a test, and I find out, man, I, I'm about, you know, 20,000 stairs lower than I lost. <laughs> personal thing, but um, one of the things that I had no idea that was happening to me, I did not know until a trial hit me, and this is after Bible college, was, uh, and I thought, you know, thank God that he lets you bust your face sometimes so you can learn something. Um, I didn't even know, I didn't even notice, but I was getting some, I was putting faith in my education. Well, for 
praise God. I went through three years of Bible college. I know the message of the cross. I know how the Holy Spirit works. I know all of this stuff. Praise God. And a trial came into my life. And you know what I found myself crying out on my bedroom floor? Lord help, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't I don't know how I got here. Yeah. Oh yeah, but mother, you know the message of the cross, right? You know. You can you can and I can I can quote it to you, all that stuff. I can show it to you in scripture. But yet here I am in the middle of a trial and I'm busting my face and I'm failing. And yet my education is useless right now because I am deep within my own heart and spirit. I'm saying, what is happening? <laughs> Why am I failing? I don't understand what's happening. Well, my faith was shifting to my knowledge of the word of God and not. It was shifting from what Christ did to me to me. For me, to my knowledge of the message of the cross. Well, praise God, I know how the Holy Spirit works. Right. <laughs> I know how the Holy Spirit works. Praise God. So if something's going wrong, I know how to get the Holy Spirit to work. Well, you might know that, but here you are, busting your face. But you know how the Holy Spirit works, but you're busting your face. Yeah, the Lord allowed that. And I'm thankful. Until I, because I finally had to, from deep within, cry out to the Lord and say, Help me, I don't understand. What's happening? Lord, my knowledge is not enough for this. I need help. Uh, next part, Dad. Uh, and and patience, experience, and experience hope. Presents a natural product of an approved experience. The experience of what God can do, or rather of what He does, for the justified amid the tribulation of this life, animates into new vigor the hope with which the life of faith begins. When one is put to the test, and their finding that the grace of God is sufficient for all things, such causes hope to spring forth. That was my experience after I traveled through the trial and the tribulation of Bible college and my experience there. I have faith in what God can do. Man, I've seen Him work. <laughs> I've seen the grace of God work in my life. Nothing on the outside changed for me. But yet the grace of God was working on the inside. And I experienced joy like I never experienced before. Even when I was walking through the worst time of my life that I can recall a lot of pain. But yet I had joy unspeakable on a daily basis. I could feel the presence of God so strongly. The grace of God was operating in my heart and my life. And it was the grace of God that carried me through that trial. Yeah. And I came out on the other side and I didn't even notice it. Did not even notice it. Until one day I was like, hey. Hey, we ain't there no more. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> 
I've seen what it can do. And it, it strengthened my faith in the cross. No, no, no. I've seen what it can do. I've seen what faith in Christ and the finished work of Calvary can do. I've seen it break bondages that nothing else could in my own life. I've seen it bring me through a trial that probably had could have killed me. If it wouldn't have killed me, it would have drove me to other stuff. It would have drove me deeper into, if I say deeper at that point I was saved, but it could have drove me right back to alcoholism. It could have drove me deeper into sin. I mean, you know, it could have drove me back into sin. Because of the trial, because of the weight, the pressure, the hurt, the pain. I could have just ran to alcohol like I did every other thing else. Everything else, that's what I did, just run to alcohol. You just run from it. Well, God hates me, so I'm out of here. <laughs> but I didn't because of the cost. It supplied the grace that I needed to get through, and it also kept me. The keeping power of God is found in the cross. You lose sight of that, and in the midst of your trial, you're in danger of not making it. Keeping power is in the cross. Now, that doesn't look as pretty as our brains say it does. When you even picture that, you're like, oh, praise God, I just never stray away. That's not the keeping power of God. The keeping power of God looks more like I'm drowning and I'm about to drown and die and then a hand reaches out of nowhere, picks you back up, but then, yeah, you still feel like you're in the water. But at least you're not drowning. Mm -hmm. That's more realistic to the keeping power of God. <laughs> but in our brains, we see the keeping power of God as, praise God, we're floating on clouds, man. If I'm just walking as close as I can to Jesus, that's not the keeping power of God. But that's, sometimes we have an unrealistic viewpoint in our mind. The keeping power of God, I experienced it many times in Bible college, was the hand of God reaching and plucking me out of the water right before I drowned. And bringing me to the surface. And I can take another breath. And then eventually, through the grace of God, I made it out of the trunk. Oh, I read that already. Okay, verse 5. And hope makes not a shame. In effect, tells us that this is not a false hope. The type of hope mentioned here is guaranteed of fulfillment. With the only question being as to the fullness of time. Yeah. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. All these Christian experiences and hopes rest upon an assurance of the love of God. The love of God to us is meant and not our love to Him. It is the evidence of God's love to us which the Apostle proceeds to set forth. It's not your love for God that's going to keep you. It's God's love for you. This love tells us that everything God allows to come upon us is for our good and not our hurt. Irrespective as to the difficulties of the moment. In the middle of my trial, I did, I'll be just 100% honest, I did not see how God loved me. <laughs> 
But now looking back, now it's it. It, the love of God wanted me to have joy no matter what I experienced. And the only way to teach me that is to bring me through the trial. To where now I can say, man, praise God, I can have joy. I can rejoice even when it rains in my life. I can have joy. I would have never known that. And the love of God wanted me to know that. So that I could have more abundant life. He didn't want me to be dictated by my situation or circumstance, because that's possible. We can totally be dictated by our situation and circumstances, that it just totally controls us, and we don't even realize it, but we're in total bondage to our situation or circumstance. If it's good, we're good. If it's bad, we're bad. And then if it's really bad, we're bad, and we're just bad to everybody else, too. Because I'm going through a hard time, so you can shut up. <laughs> And that's what it did, that we don't even realize that, but we start, we have an attitude with everybody. That's true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> my dad can attest to that. Whenever I was going through my trial in Bible college, man, I let my dad have it sometimes. <laughs> like, it's totally his fault that, you know. That's true. He was, he was, uh, I'm thankful for his wisdom and, and experience with the Lord because he didn't, um, he, he never, uh, he didn't kill me, and he could <laughs> um, But that, that, that's not, that's bondage. Yeah. You're in bondage to your own emotions. You're in bondage to your situation or circumstance. That's a miserable life. Because I'm going to tell you right now, just like we're learning right here, tribulation is going to come. They, they are going to come, and when they come, God does not desire for you to be totally bound by that situation or circumstance. That you're just controlled. That's right. To where you got, well, that's it. We need to move. <laughs> that's miserable. That's well, this is, things are just horrible here. Well, that's it. We need to move. We need to move to Colorado. Because <laughs> Louisiana, this, is, this place is just horrible. Okay? This place is horrible. People are rude. Mosquitoes are bad. This is ridiculous. We're moving to Colorado. Well, you're just in bondage to your situation and circumstance. Well, I hate my job, so that's it. I'm leaving. We don't see it. We don't see it that way, but that's bondage. That's total bondage. You'll be bouncing around jobs because you got no final one that's perfect. I just, reality check. <laughs> it's not even possible. But there are, there's a lot of times that what God sees as bondage, we don't. We just see it as, well, that's just part of life. But he doesn't see it that way. He sees it as bondage. And he doesn't desire for us to be bound to anything. Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And then he said, I will not be mastered, basically, by anything. No matter what it is, I will not be dominated and controlled by it. Whatever the thing is, it's not going to dictate what I do with my life. I'm not going to dictate my joy, my peace, none of that. Off of it. Right. God's love for a sinful and lost race springs from his heart 
in response to the high value he places upon each human soul. This agapeo love, this is agapeo love. It's a love which is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. It's got, remember, this is not our love for God, God's love for us. Um, and I said this before in here, but that the story of the lost might, the, or the lost coin, the lost coin, they got, they lost the, whoever it was, they lost, they lost it, and they, they, they swept the whole house until they found it. When they found it, they called their friends to rejoice, to tell them, I found the coin, we can rejoice. I'll just let you know, you are the coin. And God's the one that lost you. Because of the fall. Because of sin, we were lost. God lost the coin. And it was so precious to him that he swept the whole house, meaning he did everything that he possibly could to find this coin. That's you, by the way. You're the coin. <laughs> He did everything possible to find the coin. And then when he found it, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner. Because in a sense, God found the coin. Yes. So when he found you, his coin, his heart, he loved that coin. He had to get the coin. He'll shut down everything, flip over everything. Everything will be turned over to find the coin, you. And when he found it, he called all of his friends, the angelic host of heaven. And there was a party <laughs> because he found it. That's his love for you. The phrase is shed abroad in the Greek is E-K-C-H-E-O. It means to pour out or has poured in and keeps pouring in. As the love of God is shed abroad to us, it is meant to be shed abroad to others. Jesus Christ is the greatest personification of the love of God. 1 John 3.16 is God's self-revelation. Even acts of judgment are in reality the love of God, even though unregenerate man thinks the opposite. It is meant to bring man to his spiritual senses. Uh, the next part there. By the Holy Spirit which is given unto us plainly proclaims that this great attribute of God shed abroad in our hearts is altogether a work of the Holy Spirit. The love of God being shed abroad in your heart is the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, every single thing received by man from God and in any capacity is always through and by the person, office, agency, work, and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Every trial we face, God has faith we can make it through. The weight, God, this is important. The weight God allows in the trial, the weight God allows tears down your faith. 
But the resting in Christ makes your faith stronger. If you're not resting in Christ, when the trial comes, if you don't rest in Christ, your faith will be torn down. But if you're resting in Christ, your faith is strengthened, purified. All the stuff that we said earlier. <laughs> The weight God allows tears down your faith, but the resting in Christ makes your faith stronger or more pure. That's it. That is the end of...